Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. Welcome to Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I am one of your hosts, Andy Stewart, disgusting guy and uh, sometime filmmaker. And I'm Mitch Bain and I'm in the walls. Yeah, you are the best part of 400 odd miles away. Yes, I am 400 miles away in London. I am also six stories up. Let's <laughs> brag. I have my hand outstretched, desperately grasping for you, but to no avail. Uh, yeah, I'll, I I will be back. I'll I'll see you on Wednesday, won't I? Yeah, so it's it's not so long for date stamp purposes. We are doing this on Sunday morning. Um, and you, of course, are at Fright Fest. I am indeed. Yeah, so I have seen some films. Yeah, so have I. Okay, so before we get into the Fright Fest stuff, I'll talk about a couple of other things that I watched this week. But I have seen a bunch of Fright Fest stuff because we were lucky enough to be furnished by several screeners from several companies and several lovely people. But I'll touch on that in a minute when we get into the Fright Fest stuff. The first thing I checked out is I got my hands on Arrow Video's release of William Friedkin's Cruising. Oh, cool. I think it's the first time it's had a Blu-ray release, maybe anywhere. Um, But it's the story of Al Pacino plays a police detective who uh, is sent undercover in the the seedy gay S&M underbelly of New York to catch a serial killer. And it's... uh, yeah, it's fucking excellent. I mean, I can I can see why it might have been controversial in 1980, and it still it still retains quite a fair bit of that nowadays. Okay. But I uh, yeah yeah it was the first time I'd seen it. Obviously, I think it was a pretty difficult film to get your hands on in the UK for quite a long time. Yeah, really really great. Nice. Pacino's amazing in it. Cool. Uh, what what else are we getting amongst? Uh, yeah, something I was wanting to check out for ages. Uh, the man who killed Hitler and then the Bigfoot. Oh, nice, nice, nice. I've watched that for ages as well, actually. That's excellent. Really excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I've been told my, the general consensus is that it's like considerably more straight-faced than the title suggests it might be. Yeah, it's also incredibly moving and occasionally nasty. It's, it's fucking excellent. Um, and Sam I'm, Elliott is absolutely amazing in it. Like, it's a story of a guy who back in the day assassinated Hitler and is uh, drafted back in to hunt down the Bigfoot because the Bigfoot has uh, this virus that could spread to humans and they're worried about that happening. Um, right. Absolutely loved it. No, I need to. I, I really, I really need to get caught up with that. Was that a Blu-ray you're watching? That was, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> now that we've got those very brief things out of the way, cruising and uh, the man who killed Hitler and then the Bigfoot both recommended. Get your hands on them mm-hmm. if you can. Get them watched. Uh, let's turn our attentions a little bit to Fright Fest then. Aye, so um, I don't want to do dig too far into too many of these because I know that we're gonna we're gonna be talking about them in a little bit more detail down the line. Yeah, we want, uh-huh. we're just gonna scoot over some stuff then. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I definitely think it's worth a mention that the opening film, obviously, was uh, Aunt Timpson's Come to Daddy. Yeah, no, I just want to quickly say, while, you'd have been, while you have been at Fright Fest, and that's all very well and good, and for a large portion yes. of the time you've been there, I've been sat up here staring at the walls, uh, wishing I was in uh-huh. London. I learned that uh, our pal, past guest, director of Anna and the Apocalypse, John McPhail, was at a bit of a loose end. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, we had our own little Fright Fest where we watched a bunch of stuff, so ha-ha. 
<laughs> okay, very good, very good. But also, we did get, like I said earlier, we did have a bunch of screeners come our way, and one of them was Come to Daddy, so I have seen it, and I'm in a position to discuss it. What did you think of it? I thought it was really good. I've got, I've got a lot of time for it. I, I, I thought I knew where it was going maybe five or six different times, and I got it wrong every time. <laughs> yeah, me too. I uh, th- There was a point that I was kind of clapping my hands and, and shouting, Weekend at Bernie's, please be Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's not that at all. It's not that at all. I, I, I'm not going to go too much into it because, like you say, we are going to talk about it in reasonable detail down the line. But yeah, anything you think you know about this film when you're watching it, you you don't. It's it's much weirder. It's not surprising to me at all that I like this because um, we've talked in the run up to the festival. We talked about how much we've liked Ant Timpson's work as a producer. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and I think yeah, like it's a very assured first feature, but I kind of expect no less from somebody who's had his name on so many things that are so good. Yeah, yeah, agreed. As weird as you would expect from the guy who produced the Greasy Strangler. Um, yeah, really, really good film. On the opening night as well, there was a Crawl. Oh yeah. Alexander Aja's crawl. Yes. Uh, I don't think we need to say too much more about it, apart from the fact that it's a big alligator film. Yeah. I did not like this very much. Oh, I, okay, interesting. I, I thought, ironically, that it was a little bit dry. Right. Yeah, I think that it sets out to it sets out with a premise that sounds like it's going to be um, a lot of fun, and it almost determinedly doesn't have fun with it. Well, so it's... it's- Taking it incredibly po-facedly. I kind of got that from it. A lot of other people were like, oh, Crawl was a blast and this kind of thing. So maybe you just caught me in the wrong mood. Right. But like, yeah, I kind of felt like there was a seriousness to it that stopped it from ever going off the deep end in the way that I always felt like it should, in the way that I was always waiting for it to. Right, okay. Um, so yeah, no, uh, it was okay. Like I say, it went down okay with the crowd. And I, what I will say is actually like, uh, obviously I, I don't know how much you know about it um, beyond the fact that an alligator turns up, but like there's some extreme weather conditions in it. Sure, yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> Massive amounts of flooding in this kind of uh, in this kind of like leafy suburban cul-de-sac, and every time you got um, an exterior shot of that, it looked absolutely amazing. Right. V- visually, I think that like well that kind of stuff. I'm not mad about CG alligators, but the actual visuals of that were really really impressive to the point that like on that massive screen. I was kind of like, I would be cool with just watching this some more, actually. <laughs> just like a big angry screensaver. Yeah, yeah, you know, like you know, like that thing on Netflix where you can uh, where you can watch something that's just a fireplace, <laughs> <laughs> like that. Yeah. So yeah, crawl, not really for me. Um, okay, that's cool. Yeah, and um, the closing film on the opening night was uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Yeah, I've seen some mixed stuff on this. Uh, yeah, I think that your the dem- your demographic for this are people who think that the Goosebumps adaptation from a few years ago could have stood to be darker. Right. Okay. I, I think I, I don't. I think a lot of people misjudged what this film was and the- and what it was based on. I think people expected something a lot darker and a lot more adult. Which obviously, yeah, is kind of is never what you're getting here. I don't think. Like, cause, like, and I, I don't think that that's what they said to me because obviously it's an, it's adapted from a series of kids books. Correct. Yes. And um, yeah, uh, it's 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 shooting for that PG thirteen in America, mm-hmm. and that's fine. That's like that's at least in part it's pitched at people who are in the age bracket of the books and people who remember the books, yep. and that's fine. So what I think this one does right is basically everything effect wise. Okay, it's almost all practical, and it benefits massively from that. The actual, obviously, the illustrations in the book are really fucking unpleasant, <laughs> um, and it realizes them very very nicely. What I would say is uh, I think it's a shame that the monsters or the kind of characters from the stories from the book aren't given a little bit more airspace like a little bit more backstory in that i kind of wish this had been an anthology right okay rather than just kind of turning it into a dare i say a kids on bike story that's kind of tied together by these set pieces that are based on these monsters from this from this book oh your favorite 
<laughs> at least they set it. They set it in nineteen sixty eight, so um, it's less kids on Bixie than all the stuff that's set in the eighties. <laughs> but um, so yeah, that sensibility is still there. But I think that that me having a problem with that is more my problem than the films. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 fine. I would say it's worth checking out. Um, and the practical stuff's great. And Andre Overdale continues to make stuff that I like broadly. Okay, that that's fine. That's cool. Uh, yeah, it was one I was looking forward to. I'm I'm a fan of the books. In fact, recently I was talking to my still pregnant wife about the books and she had a look through them and I was told in no uncertain terms that uh, our child will not be reading them for the foreseeable future. Oh, I see. Okay, <laughs> I guess that's fair enough, I think, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about other stuff from the festival in more detail down the line. Do you want to give a very quick mention to Death of a Vlogger, though? Yeah which I saw yesterday morning, and I thought was absolutely fucking brilliant. Uh, yeah, this uh, directed, written, and starring Graham Hughes. Uh-huh. Uh, kind of a found footage documentary type thing. I didn't really know what I was getting into with this. It turned out to be, I think, kind of by turns, funny, scary, kind of pertinent. Also kind of unfolds with the arc of a thriller as well, which I thought was really fun. I just, I like, I had a great time with it in the moment. And the more I think about it after the fact, the more I like it. I haven't seen anything that I liked as much as it this weekend so far. Oh, wow. There's two days to go. So, um, well, it's a time for me to be swayed. But, uh, yeah, uh, I think that Death of a Vlogger is fucking great. I'm also going to come out in defense of Death of a Vlogger. I thought it was excellent. Graham sent me a screener link, so thank you to Graham for that. Uh, and I checked it out. And, uh, yeah, I kind of roughly fall down in the same camp as you, I think, considering the fact that it's largely shot in his flat, there's a yep. lot of really clever things on show here. There's a lot of ingenuity packed into yeah. it. I found it really impressive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Also, um, uh, what I will say was kind of like it was a sore point for me yesterday in the screening. The best line in the film, which is commu- about communicating with uh, Glaswegian ghosts by using a Ouija board, um, uh, I properly guffawed when he said that and it died in the room because we weren't in Glasgow. Sure, sure, yeah. I also feel like calling a ghost a spooky cunt probably doesn't work quite as well. That got more of a laugh. I, that, was a, <laughs> that, was a, that was a cracking line as well. See, it is, yeah, it's really, really funny. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I, I really like Graham's stuff. He's got a really weird interest and sense of humour that comes across in everything he does. Uh-huh. And yeah, it's well on show here. And he's not afraid cool. to laugh at himself as well and make himself look like a, a bit of a dick occasionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I've got I've got loads of stuff that I could talk about. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna do that properly, like properly in a little while cool. uh, with you. We've all seen a little bit more stuff. Now, uh, so moving swiftly on. Now, is there any point in me singing the jingle? Yes. Oh, well, that's incredibly surprising. Mitch watches Wave One Hundred. Specifically, Mitch watches The Lost Boys. <laughs> Wow, okay. Yeah. I uh, I like this just about as much as I expected to and as much as everyone said I would. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's great. It's really fun. Uh, yeah, I had a great time with it. I uh, have 18 remaining now, I believe. Cool. Uh, so who knows what comes next. I Like I say, I, I feel like, you know, if it's different when I'm talking about something like Malevolence or, uh, you know, like one of the kind of the, the more underseen ones on this list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always feel like a bit of a bam when I'm talking about stuff and I'm just like, oh, you know what's good? The Lost Boys. So I'm not going to dwell <laughs> too much. But yes, of course I enjoyed The Lost Boys because everyone does. Have you seen this film, The Lost Boys? Hi, uh, boys, stay with me on this one. But, um, <laughs> you heard of this film, The Lost Boys? So I, yeah, no, I thought it was really good. But like I say, I'm, I'm not going to talk about it at too much length because uh, who the fuck cares what I think? Yeah, and if you want to know more about The Lost Boys, Paul Davis put out an amazing book. 
<laughs> which kind of covers the film in just about as exhaustive detail as is possible. Oh yeah, they don't ask me about it. Just go read that. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's feedback time and a decent amount this week. Some uh, some good stuff and some of that focusing specifically on this past week's episode where we did something a little bit different. Jill Gavargazian joined us again. Big thank you to her for doing that. Met her for the first time, by the way, on uh, Thursday night. Oh yeah, did you give her a big hug from me? I did. Yeah, well, yeah. Right, I passed you. on your best. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, she came back and just uh, kind of and as a kind of masochistic thing, um, we began our working through of the uh, sequels to Anaconda. We did Anaconda's Hunt for the Blood Orchid. <laughs> um, so that was a good time. Big thank you to Jill for that. People have been getting in touch and uh, talking to us about this one. Tony got in touch with Barb Mintz. Sure. Obviously, we touched on the fact that uh, we were going to do all the sequels and we did agree at the end of it, despite the fact that Hunt for the Blood Orchid isn't great, that we are going to do that over the next little while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tony got in touch saying, uh, shape film great episode can't wait till you finally hit the sequels i haven't seen namely this glorious looking unofficial surprise fifth entry i found deep in the anus of imdb and sure enough it is posted a picture and it's for something called anaconda's mystery solved yeah yeah i saw that uh, i also zoomed in just to have a kind of closer look at the cast and at the very bottom and almost imperceptibly small writing it informs you that this film that we're talking about here is two hours long my god really yeah get yourself to fuck I agree. I think also that um, I think that the poster has a little bit of a Birdemic vibe about it. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. It's very much a quick cut and paste job on Photoshop. Yeah, I am. Um, I uh, it's one of those things where I saw the poster for it and I was like, oh god, I'm gonna have to watch this at some point, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> So uh, thank you, Tony, for that. Yeah. Uh, also, um, I've got um, one from Dennis as well, Dennis Extra Atherton. Yeah, hi, Dennis. We were talking about the um, kind of box-ticking diversity in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, Dennis chipped in with that. He just said, Mitch's joke about Benetton was so on point, the next film should be called The United Colors of Anaconda. <laughs> right. Brilliant conversation, guys. Loved it. So thanks for that, Dennis. No, oh, thank you. Uh, Dave Cooper at Deluxe underscore Man getting in touch. It sounds god-awful, so naturally I need to see it. Sexy yep, Snake man. Pit nearly made me crash the bike this morning, so well played. Definitely need to seek <laughs> this out. I'm glad we talked him around, that's great. Yeah, well, I mean, like I say, uh, I said in the episode, if you want to seek it out, uh, 88 Films have just put out a All Singing, All Dancing Blu-ray multi-pack, <laughs> but there is also a cheap budget version flying around out there, which I think you can probably pick up for about six quid. So, yeah, <laughs> thank you for all budgets. <laughs> That's about all I've got on uh, Blood Orchids, actually. You got anything else? Oh, God, yeah, I do. Um, Dr. Lauren McIntyre reaching out with some comments here. Uh, Just to say, uh, she's posted a photo of the Australian boat guy who isn't really in it for long. Yes, Uh, John Bob. John, yeah, yeah. Just saying, my face by the end of this film. Of course, Hunky Boatman made it out unscathed. He's got a lot more unnecessary jungle shaving left to do. Yeah, fun slash terrible movie. Thumbs up. Uh, then she's weighed in again, talking about Morris Chestnut. Okay. <laughs> and she says that uh, Morris Chestnut can't be a real name, and then points to Tony Constantinou at Rhubarb and Mince uh, and asks if this name is one of his creations. <laughs> <laughs> that's Yeah, I can kind of see that. Which I very much like. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, is that your lot for Anaconda? It is. Okay, cool. I want to talk about... Uh, we got a long consideration from James Plum. 
uh, Mad Science Films. We've got a three-tweet examination of There Are Monsters. Wow, okay. Subject of an Andy versus Mitch uh, episode a couple of weeks ago, and also the subject of a conversation between me and director Jay Dahl last night, who I met. Um, <laughs> How did that go? <laughs> It's really good. Um, uh, I might put the photo up on Instagram actually because I inevitably got a photo where he looks like kind of like moderately pleased to see me, and I look delighted to see him. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'm gonna put it up there actually. I, I'm gonna. Um, yeah. So James got in touch and said this. Just watch There Are Monsters as partially recommended by Strong Violent PC. I think I fall somewhere between the two hosts on the film. Stronger in its quieter moments, it undoes a lot of my goodwill to the film when it tries to go big. One moment that landed for me was in the diner after Beth delivered her monologue. All the protagonists decide to just ring their parents to see if they're okay or if they're still them. It's a moment you wouldn't get in bigger films and it reminds you that they're still kids. Ultimately, I lean more towards Watchfire's Mitch's judgment than Andy makes stuff in being more forgiving because at least the crew tried to make something different. Okay, okay, fair enough. Very even-handed assessment from uh, from James there. Yeah, uh, I still don't know if I necessarily agree. I'll tell you who else hasn't. Laura, uh, buying an LV on uh, Twitter. Watching There Are Monsters for Strong Violent PC, trying not to say F-words. Might not have a lot of patience. If somebody gives the students a tripod, it might get me over the 20-minute mark. <laughs> Do we know if Laura finished the film? Uh, I'm gonna go back and check. Yeah, Laura, get back in touch. Let us know um, if you made it to the end. Because uh, yeah, if you were if you were feeling that way by the 20 minute mark, then I don't know how much would have happened in the intervening 70 minutes that would have changed your mind. <laughs> I've got something on Secret Obsession. Ah, excellent, great, yes. <laughs> uh, Kim Morrison got in touch on Facebook just to say uh, I love how careful Mitch was to not spoil the whole of Secret Obsession with a Netflix trailer. Is basically like here's the whole plot of the movie. So true, honestly. Yeah, I that's that is spot on. I, I like that was kind of what drew me into it, to be honest. Uh, the trailer that auto played when I opened Netflix. No, Netflix not shy at all about um, making the uh, the kind of deceptive character, the owner of the secret obsession, if you like, um, look incredibly suspicious in the trailer. <laughs> Uh, something else cool that happened this week. I had noticed that uh, Rob Galuzzo from Shortwave's podcast, just uh, the day prior to this announcement, had been shouting about the fact that there was no Blu-ray release of Anna and the Apocalypse. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no sooner had that tweet left Rob's fingers than Second Sight, no less, put out a tweet saying that on December the 2nd, the Blu-ray release of Anna and the Apocalypse is coming to the UK, and presumably wider. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is great news. Yeah, um, I congratulated John Hartley on it last night. As, yeah, yeah. I should, I, I, you know, I should do that to him. <laughs> but, uh, one thing that uh, we probably can look forward to is a chunkier extras package. Okay. Given Second Sight's kind of reputation and recent releases, I would be incredibly surprised if it wasn't packed with commentaries and all the stuff that the UK DVD release certainly does not have. Yeah, yeah, I, I would imagine so. Yeah. A couple of other things to get through here, actually. Uh, Gorehound Zombie Slew got in touch, um, just saying, if frank discussion wasn't enough to make me lose my Gorehound shit, Watchfire's Mitch confession of not seeing the Monster Squad is. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not proud of that. Yeah, you, you managed to straight face a live episode with Andre Gower pretty well. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. I feel terrible about it. <laughs> also, I just want to say a quick hello to Billy Kirkman as well, who got in touch this week, posting a picture of the fact that he has uh, purchased himself a Mitch's Bitches t-shirt, which he's wearing proudly. Yes, he has. Yeah, that's uh, incredibly good of him. Yeah, a few, a few people have been doing that, actually. Yeah, um, so big thank you to people for, for doing that and uh, kind of letting us see that. It's always fun. Who knew? I know, I know. This t-shirt is flying off the... I would say the shelves. They might be. They might not be on shelves, but they're. Uh, I mean, they're certainly coming direct from T Public. So I don't know how they. Do you know what you mean? Yeah, so, I don't know yeah. how they store things. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have anything else? I don't. I'm clean out. 
Well, so am I. Well, that leaves one thing. It's once again time for Mitch's Pitches. Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to my phone. It will be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. We'll have photoshopped out the title, any identifying text, taglines, all that kind of thing. He'll leave only the image. It'll fall to me to describe the image to the best of my ability and give the film a title and a synopsis. So uh, last week it was The Legend of Hell House. It was, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, it was appropriated by me as Black Friday 3, the last Thanksgiving. <laughs> and... Uh, Reappropriated by many of you as uh, some other things. So, uh, Cosmic Ray Girl on Twitter, uh, Gustav Hosiery is spying on a neo-Nazi group when he comes across their leader, my family Mindwallop, who he falls madly in love with. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What was that? Said? What my was family Mindwallop. Right, sure. <laughs> falls madly in love with. Can Gustav keep up the double agent act? It's 1972, Mein Comfort Zone. <laughs> Fucking hell. Okay, right, okay. Uh, Andy McEwen, when philanthropist Hera Hunter Horncock buys a former sanatorium with the intention of turning it into a hotel. <laughs> However, as they start renovating the building, they start finding strange rooms and documents and videos showing strange experiments. As the crew start dying in different and increasingly strange ways, is this bad luck or has something more sinister survived the fire that killed the inmates years ago? It's 1989's horror Hotel Hera. <laughs> okay. Chris Salt on uh, Oblong Pictures and Twitter. On a quest to unearth the fabled Emerald Eye of Tudor warlock Pip Ford, archaeologist <laughs> Veronica Stopcock is surprised to discover an entire miniature house buried beneath a supermarket car park. <laughs> While dusting off with a special brush, she inadvertently conjures Ford's skeletal spirit, which unleashes a demonic reign of terror. Can Veronica unravel the mystery of the thousand-year-old Elizabethan runes that hold the secret of returning the wizened wizard to his tiny prison? Or will the world cower before the unspeakable evil that escaped from the house of Pip Ford? <laughs> sure, yeah. And Tony Constantine. Oh, okay. When attention-deficient devil child Damien Lenshaw recklessly replaces his sleeping hemophiliac granddad's Bradley's lower false teeth with a gift shop miniature wooden replica of the St. Rock Cemetery in Grenoble, <laughs> things quickly escalate when the startled Bradley awakens suddenly and sinks his sinister new smile straight into the roof of his mouth. <laughs> Now as Brad's gnarled new gnashers cause him to bleed uncontrollably, Damien must seek out the one man who can help him avert the unintentional murder of his beloved granddad, disgraced local orthodontist Argus Farm. <laughs> can can Farm teach Damien how to undo the accidental damage? Dental. Before Bradley bleeds out? Find out in 1982's surprise straight-to-Betamax sequel, Unexpected Apprentice Dentist 2, Mad Grandad's Brad Lencher's Bad French Denture Adventure. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. It's tremendous. That was incredibly wordy. That, uh, uh, congratulations, Mitch, for wrapping your mouth around that. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, that was uh, that was uh, pretty tricky. <laughs> oh wow! Oh, oh, best title going to uh, to Tony. Yeah, so that's fair. And uh, best character name to Cosmic Ray Girl. Lovely. Okay, cool. Congratulations to Alexis and Tony. You both win nothing. Yeah. Big thanks to Tony for sending a photo of his collection the other day. Uh, but yeah, it's obviously yeah. it's obviously grown week on week, but uh, yeah, storage space for the nothing. Yeah, it appears to be an aircraft hangar. 
Yeah, it does. Which is also pretty speculative going forward. Uh, yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, you've got speculative to accumulate, I guess. But yeah, it's a bold move. <laughs> anyway, this week. Okay, send them over. Yes, see, here it comes now. Oh, here we go. Here okay. we go. What do you make of that? Uh, yeah, uh, this looks pretty interesting. Uh, it says, uh, so the background is black, the border for the image is white. <laughs> we have a, uh, this would actually, <laughs> is it Daniel wasn't real? <laughs> <laughs> what we have here is a man in a Czech shirt uh, who looks like he has a beard, curly hair and glasses. He's facing away from the viewer. He's looking into his bathroom mirror. It might be Jason Manzoukas. Uh, I was thinking, yeah, it might be Jason Manzoukas. It might also be Bob Ross. <laughs> A kind of smartly dressed man in a red Donald Trump-esque power tie is looking back at him, <laughs> uh, which reflection should be. And uh, written in condensation on the mirror is the question, who am I here? Okay. Uh, also, just uh, there, there is a, a white sink with a couple of faucets there and also some toothpaste on a small shelf. <laughs> Incredibly detail-oriented. Thank you, Mitch. Oh, yeah, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing right, as I always say. Yes. Uh, I will need a moment. Sure. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't go into more detail. I think that looks like a tube of Colgate. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely too red to be sensitive. <laughs> it's not available. Oral B, for example. Yeah. So this is just us listing toothpastes now while we wait for you to finish this pitch. Yeah, on that subject, I'm just about there. Uh, how you doing? Okay, I think I'm there. Okay, let's do this. After losing millions on a business deal following a pattern of merciless corporate backstabbing, down on his luck stockbroker Chet Harbinger relocates <laughs> to a house in the mountains to escape the pressures of city life. However, leading a life of quiet seclusion isn't so simple as the temptation to both return to his old high-stakes, high-rolling lifestyle and take revenge on those that wrong him set at the forefront of his mind. As he's plagued by increasingly terrifying visions, his greediest and most murderous inclinations manifest themselves in the form of his hedonistic alter ego, Cherche Le Benjamins. <laughs> Heading back to the city with murder on his mind, chaos awaits in 1988's bloody bourgeois satire, Murders and Acquisitions. <laughs> I <laughs> uh, very much enjoyed that. How wrong am I? You're quite wrong. What year did you say? 88. 88? Well, you're one year out in 1987. Okay, that's not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, and the film is Joseph Rubin's The Stepfather. Oh, cool. Okay. Okay. What's The Stepfather about? Who, 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 uh, more to the point, who's our synopsisist this week? Mitch will be pleased to hear and uh, potentially bamboozled and uh, irritated by the fact that our synopsisizer this week is Anonymous. Oh, okay. How mysterious. Yeah. After murdering his entire family, a man remarries a widow with a teenage daughter in another town and prepares to do it all over again. Oh my goodness. Okay, right. Very good. My <laughs> um, image is everywhere. Get pitching uh, through all the usual channels. Yeah. So before we turn our attentions to what's going on this week, uh, I do have some streaming channel stuff. There's uh, some stuff across the board, actually, this week. Oh. So uh, Amazon Prime, on August 30th, we have the premiere of a series that's been getting a lot of uh, fuss made about Carnival Row. Oh, yeah, that's got Orlando Bloom in it, doesn't it? Uh, yes, as a serial killer preys on mystic creatures in a dark futuristic city, a detective on the case becomes the prime suspect in the murder, so that's available from August 30th. Right, okay. So on Shudder, from August 30th, uh, Hounds of Love is there. Oh, right, okay. 
a, a film uh, so, that you didn't particularly like. I'm uh, not a huge fan, no. It kind of felt like I didn't need it in a year that already had Berlin Syndrome, which I think is a far better variation on not the same thing, but a similar idea. Sure. Now TV, I've got, um, actually, I think I think I forgot to mention this last week, but it's there now, Assassination Nation. Oh, right, brilliant. We've talked about it on but the I, show. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, it started over the weekend. That's great. And uh, it's not a horror film, but it's something that a lot of genre fans I know really liked. Um, on August 30th, again, uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. All right, okay. I've heard loads of good things about that. Netflix have a couple of things. August 28th, uh, Dennis Villeneuve's uh, Blade Runner 2049, which is cool. I uh, really like Dennis Villeneuve. I really like Ryan Gosling. I really like Anna de Armas. So uh, I haven't seen this yet. So I will catch that when I'm home for sure. Uh, yeah, you'll also be able to do that from August 28th. And on August 30th, another thing that people are getting really excited about. It's the premiere of The Dark Crystal. Oh, yeah, the, t- the series. Yeah, which a lot of people are getting very excited about. So that'll, that'll be available from then as well. So, yeah, everybody uh, doing good things this week on the streaming platform. So loads of stuff to get stuck into this week. Yeah, I would say for me, The Dark Crystal's the thing to watch. Uh, yeah, I would say that's definitely up there. I, for, for, it's difficult for me to not say Assassination Nation is the pick of the week. But on a technicality, saying it's technically got added last week, I'll say The Dark Crystal too. Okay, lovely. Thanks, Mitch. So this week we have a guest. Yeah, we do. Back on that guest train. And, well, kind of got a little bit of horror royalty on our hands here. <laughs> yeah, and a good good friend of mine. Yeah, but you may know him from such films as Hellraiser, Nightbreed, yep. Stuart Sparks' Book of Monsters. Yep, and he pops uh, up in my film, Remnant. Uh, it's Nick Vince. Yes, my dear, dear friend Nick joins us this week to discuss a bizarre 2004 slasher, Hellbent. Nice, okay, cool. So heading back to 2004 with Nick Vince this week, and we are talking Hellbent. So uh, if you want to get in touch with us, talk to us about that, then, and in, indeed about all the shit that we've spoken today, and uh. all the other shit that we've spoken in the past and may talk in the future. <laughs> there are many ways you can do that. Facebook and Instagram, we are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC, and you can also email Scenes at gmail.com. A word on that, by the way, I added the uh, podcast email to my phone this week. I just changed phones. Right. So I was just the kind of like admin that you get. I was delighted to see that we've been receiving emails. <laughs> we have been receiving emails. Now you stay out of them. Yeah, I was going to say, like, and the reason that we're not mentioning these is that I've, I've seen from the subject line that they're, Mitch, they're Mitch's pitches suggestions and stuff like that, so obviously uh, I uh, know to stay in my lane on that one. Yeah, but certainly the frequency of emails has, uh, I mean, it wouldn't be difficult for it to increase, but it has uh, certainly increased from none a week to maybe two. Yeah, it's, 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 it's an increase, it's a start. <laughs> Only took us a year and a half. Yeah, I know, I know. Andy. Yeah. Where can people listen to the show? Well, I tell you, Mitch, there's loads of places. Uh, the easiest resource for finding places to listen to us would be to jump onto our website, strongviolentpod.com, and you'll find mm-hmm. them all there. But why not go and show some love to the, our hosts, Podbean? I feel like, I think that Stitcher and the Bad Books this week, um, yeah. we got a te- we're saying that the Minnesota took its time appearing. I, don't, I still don't think it's there. I still don't think Minnesota uh, 66 arrived at all. Um, but uh, certainly the, the most recent episode did arrive. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping it was just a little glitch, a blip. Let it be known. Oh, no, it's there. It's there. Oh, cool. Uh, okay. Yep, just a quick check there. It has finally arrived only a week late. Okay, so apologies uh, to anyone who were, who didn't get that right away, but it's in your feeds now. We are doing. We do our best to make sure things get where they need to go on time, and if they do not get there, rest assured, I will call them all the bastards under the sun. Yeah, I was going to say, and I think that, like, and also what I would say uh, to your credit, Andy, is that um, if ever we are running slightly behind, we are like we never miss a release day. No, no, we have never. Uh, no, but uh, if you are running slightly behind, you self-flagellate to a uh, frankly ludicrous extent over a very, very minor transgression. 
<laughs> Honestly, man, I'm purely. Well, oh, fuck! I'm gonna be half an hour late with this. If only I hadn't, <laughs> if only I hadn't fannied about and went and watched an episode of Bob's Buggers. Our listeners are very, very nice people. They don't mind. They're nice. Well, still, I don't like it. All right. No, I understand. I understand. Mitch, I'm I'm never late for anything. I, I know like, your timekeeping is immaculate. Yeah, I'm incredibly punctual, and I, yeah. I, 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 I like to move that forward into the world. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do wonder if incoming Stuart Junior will arrive on time with his dad's punctuality. I get the distinct impression that he's going to come flying out a little bit earlier than that. Oh, really? Okay, he's yeah. going to just hide. Yeah, yeah. I feel like he's uh, overly keen, if anything. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Time will tell, I suppose. <laughs> We're back on Friday talking Hellbent with Nicholas Vince. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mitch. Enjoy the rest of Fright Fest, and I'll see you when you're home. See you soon. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. 